You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Coming to you on a Friday morning from Happy Valley. In just a couple weeks, we'll be on the verge of watching Penn State play a Big Ten football game. That's right. Two weeks away from Indiana versus the Nittany Lions. That one taking place in Bloomington. Still waiting to see what the press box situation looks like, but we'll have you covered every step of the way. Two more weeks. uh, A lot of content coming your way on Lions 24-7. Been a fun week on the site as well. A lot of team engagement. We had Terry Smith uh, on Penn State's radio show yesterday, so so a bunch of stuff on the cornerbacks. We're going to get into it in just a moment on the tight end group, uh, one of the premier positions for Penn State here in 2020. Tyler Bowen, who also serves as offensive recruiting coordinator for Penn State, along with his role as the third-year tight ends coach, joined us after practice on Wednesday. And and Sean, we resumed our post-practice media availability stuff with James Franklin, and usually we get an assistant coach as well. In this case, it was Bowen. Not in the field, not huddled around our colleagues in the media beat, but it was a lot more convenient to to kind of sit here, record the audio, and then get right to work on a story. Not going to lie, that was nice, but you miss putting your feet on the practice field. You miss seeing some action, getting blasted by the speakers as they play a fight song or whatever they might be playing, hearing some Phil Collins out there. So kind of restructured here in 2020 as we've talked about every step of the way but it's just nice to get that post practice session in it's great to know that that we're creeping up on this game week we're going to talk about a roster move that took place earlier this week and it takes away a, a player from the receiver room but Sean again it's starting to just feel like you know the season's really rolling forward and this is Penn State's original bye week, by the way. And uh, October 10th was always on the schedule, uh, even when they revised it. And it's supposed to be 76 and sunny tomorrow. So um, I guess it's football season. But we, we we miss that. We miss the pads thudding. We miss all the, the cliches that we talk about when we go to practice. But it's it's just cool to see football happen. And, you know, if we have to do that uh, through video or through Zoom or whatever, that's great. So we're missing a few things, but we're also getting back into it. And uh, I think we've talked about this several times over the last couple Couple months. As long as we're talking about football, we are happy, and I hope you're happy too. Listening, uh, listening to us talk about football. But yes, we got Tyler Bowen this week. We got some James Franklin. But Bowen, I, I mean, there's only so much that Franklin can say right now. Let's be honest. I mean, they've been practicing in pads for a week, and they've, you know, there's really not a ton that you can glean from that. We've had some notes on our site, but at the same time, you, you got to take that with the expectation that really not much can happen in a week. So getting their installs in, getting the things that they need to get to, uh, to to get in line before they get into game prep. And that's what they're doing right now. So we get assistant coaches. We get uh, Tyler Bowen this week to talk about his tight ends. Really good tight end room. That's something we're going to focus on in our state of the position series today. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been cool to watch the evolution. First off, we'll talk about Bowen, the evolution of him. I mean, he was a graduate assistant, went to Fordham, went to uh, Maryland as the offensive line coach, then back to Penn State. He's really done well for himself very quickly. He just, uh, I think, turned 31 last year, uh, so or this year, excuse me. So it's been an accelerated career for him. Obviously, he, the, the sights are high. He's you know going to be a coordinator at some point, very well could be a head coach at some point, but has done a great job with this tight end room and really built the base for 
for just uh, I guess raising the bar among all those guys and he's had a, he's had a lot of help he, you know Mike Kosicki certainly put the bar very high Pat Fryermuth continued to run with it but this room has just sort of evolved to the point where we're talking about legitimately talented guys you know sitting on the back burner because they're, they're so good up front he just turned 31 I think you're right um and, and he's he was on that uh 30 under 30 list just a couple of years ago for 24 7 sports which which spotlights um you know the the premier rising coaches out there and, and personnel people and Adam Brenneman was on that list in an assistant role right now with Arizona State formerly of Penn State more importantly though he did add two more tight ends to this room but he added a baby to his life this year. So congratulations to Tyler Bowen on that and uh, and his wife uh, on their child that that came this summer. Uh, Hopefully a little extra downtime because of the circumstances to to enjoy that time. But it's full throttle now with this group, Sean. And and, uh, Tyler Bowen, you know, looking back real quickly to his role with this program, it's really grown. Uh, His recruiting role, he's the offensive recruiting coordinator. We we got to talk about that. It's actually what I asked him about on Wednesday, kind of their opportunity to go out there and, and play some offensive football with the new system this year and Kirk Shiraka and how maybe that could benefit them, uh, not just in the 2021 recruiting cycle, but just overall and in, in, in getting some new appeal out there uh, on the recruiting trail. But, you know, look at what he did in the Cotton Bowl. He got an opportunity there to, to call plays. Um, and, and what did they do? They went and set a postseason record for the program with rushing yards and just uh, were able to just run through, over, around. Um, and that's just describing Journey Brown's single run against Memphis down there in Dallas that we got to see firsthand. Put up a ton of points, 50-plus points. So you look at the resume that he's put together. He's a former Power 5 player in his own right. And, and there's just a lot to like. And, and James Franklin, this was a big win you know, yeah, it looked like a nice, really good, strong move a few years ago when, when he came in and replaced Ricky Ronnie as a tight ends coach, when Ronnie replaced um, Joe Moorhead as the offensive coordinator. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the, the, the three years later, you look at the body of work he's put together. There's just a lot to like about his trajectory, and there's a lot to love about what he's working with in that room. Well, you think about where what he was doing, and as the tight ends coach, you're usually the junior coach on the staff. I mean, that's basically how it how it is. If if this is the type of staff that that James Franklin has, it's usually a guy that is working his way up, doing what he needs to do. And now all of a sudden, that offensive line position comes open, and and people are thinking, okay, do you slide Tyler Bowen into that offensive line position? The way that he's going with the room that he has, there's no way in hell I'd want to be an offensive line coach. You know, you just keep riding this tight ends and into whatever is next. So it's it's been uh, it's been cool to watch. And and Tyler, good dude, uh, just ha- has really earned everything that he that he's gotten so far, and has really done a great job with uh, with what's in front of him. But has coached those tight ends up, has uh, really helped Pat Frymuth become a, an, an all around guy. I mean, he was always the guy that we thought would play first. I don't know that we thought he would play this well first, but I mean, it's funny because it's like, it's kind of like when, when Saquon was here and some of those other guys were here, we're not talking about Pat Fryermuth because it's such a given that he's going to be good. Like he's, it, it, we take for, we take Pat Fryermuth for granted and he's talented enough that we can do that. And there's only been a few guys over the last couple of years that we we could really say that about. When we first sat down to do this podcast, you and I, right, right before the season started in 2018, I mean, we were talking about Pat Fryermuth. Maybe this guy can get on the field, uh, but either way, I, I'm not sure if tight end's going to be a major strength. You hope it's not a weakness. Mike Kosicki's off in the NFL. 
You got guys like Jonathan Holland, Nick Bowers. Not sure what you're going to get from that group. By the end of that first month, uh, Pat Frymuth was in the end zone in a whiteout game against Ohio State and was your starter. And since then, he's just taken off in such a major way. And he was a kid that was great to deal with. I would probably put him up there alongside Jesse Lucchetta, at least for, for my engagement with that 2018 recruiting class in terms of guys who were, were pretty open with you in that conversation, straight shooters, and also very clearly cared about every single commitment and every single target that they were trying to put on board for what ended up being a top five recruiting class there in 2018 and has paid major dividends for Penn State. But but I'm with you. I mean, he was clearly the guy when you looked at that two tight end class and uh, those guys both talked about him and Zach Koontz wanting to be a dynamic duo in the future, wanting to, to, to help establish the best tight end room in the country. And, um, you know, it, it's been Pat Fryermuth as the torchbearer there. And he's just the guy that, yes, he was ready to play. And, and, and he got to campus a few months after Zach Kuntz. Um, but not only was he ready to play, he was ready to just look absolutely comfortable out there. And I think that's what has always stood out to Tyler Bowen, his comfort level, particularly in times of, of duress in a game and in, in times where some players start to, to get cold feet or start to feel those nerves. It just seems like Fryermuth steps his game up and is the calm, cool, collective voice of reason out there in times of duress. I think he was big for Sean Clifford last year because we noted this a few times over the course of the season. Uh, Clifford was a bit antsy, a bit jumpy, excitable during these games. I think Fryermuth was an important sounding board for him. And, and we all saw it on third down. That's where he was looking. And even the year before, when he was a true freshman, Trace McSorley started looking to him on third downs and, and, and must have plays with frequency. Yeah, he runs that eight-yard hitch like few others. It's it's really phenomenal when you think about how big he is and how much attention he has on him for him to be able to get open. Uh, you know, Fryermuth, they don't come around very often like Pat Fryermuth. He's just uh, – a lot of those guys are driven. A lot of those guys are talented doesn't always work out that it's both. And Pat Fryermuth is both. So um, excited to see him in what I'm going to flatly assume is his final year. Obviously had, you know, had things to think about this offseason and, and wanted to play, wanted to come back. And it's it's been really cool to see him. And, and you mentioned that 2018, uh, that that season as they open with John Holland as a starter, Nick, Nick Bowers as the backup, Danny Dalton was the third stringer. And then you got to Pat Fryermuth and didn't take long until we found out what Pat Fryermuth or at least what he brought to the table. I mean, you and I watched him at camp and we were just talking about this before we went on the air, the camp that Will Levis earned his offer back in the whiteout camp back in 2017. And, and Fryermuth had been committed for almost a year at that point. He was awesome. I mean, there the tight end is what it is. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have different matchups than the guys on the outside, but you put him in, and Zach Koontz was there too. You came out of that thinking, wow, this kid is, this kid might be something special. And if you look back at the, uh, the rankings in that 2018 class, it's become a really, really good tight end class. Uh, Brevin Jordan, I think was number one in the composite. Uh, Zach Koontz was up there in the top five and he's still, obviously we're going to talk about him in a little bit, but, uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, is, is having a phenomenal season and career for Florida, out of Pennsylvania as well. And then Pat Fryermuth was just inside that top 10. So, I mean, the top guys at their position coming out of that 2018 class, is it, it's been something to watch because that, that was a great group. You mentioned you saw a bunch of those guys, including working out with Jason away at the New Jersey opening back that day, back in 2017. Uh, it's just a, a phenomenal year for that group. And rarely do you see a group that is probably as safe as the one that they brought in with, you, you knew some of these guys were going to be studs. Pat Fryermuth, I mean, we we you had this under kind of wraps for a lot of last year, and we were waiting for for it to kind of spread a little bit more and to, to come to the forefront. The fact that Pat Fryermuth had the exit door open 
uh, as a sophomore. It's something that 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 uh, you know we had kind of talked about, whispered about, I guess, over the course of the year. And eventually, um, it was something that he had to address head on uh, after that. I think it was the regular season finale, if I'm not mistaken, against Rutgers, uh, where he came out and said, "Hey, I'm 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 here for 2020." Then, of course, the pandemic rolls through and, and opt-outs start coming, uh, and and he's a guy who's at the forefront of that. And and couldn't blame him if, if he went that route, particularly when the Big Ten season was looking doubtful at best. Um, but he stuck it out, just and, and Bowen said it's a guy who, who stuck it with us. Uh, there, was, there was never, you know, he says that there was... There's never a time where he didn't feel committed to the program, but Pat said, you know, he he had to have those conversations with Franklin. He had to have those conversations with his family. So he had a lot to think about, and him coming stop, back. Stop here, short of never being a doubt. There, yeah, is yeah, you, is I, what I, you're I, saying. I, I want to stop short of that because I think Tyler Bowen certainly uh, didn't didn't go to bed each night thinking there's no doubt about it. Pat Fryer moves my number one tight end for every game if we have games whenever we play games. They were worried. Yeah, they were certainly worried about. It. I mean, he was he was on the fence. I mean, it, it, you know, obviously he did not opt out, but he was. He had some decisions to make and, you know, it was very, very important decisions. But like I said, they don't make too many like Pat Fryermuth. And that's not just talking. And I talked about the talent and I talked about the drive, but him wanting to be here. I mean, that's that's something that, that was very important to him. Uh, he had the opportunity last year, as you mentioned, to get out of here. He did not do that. So, I mean, this is a, this is a special, special player. Uh, you have down uh, written down here in the rundown program, Legend in the Making. And I think that's very well, very much true. Yeah, he's he's a junior, um, but he's already tied Mike Kosicki atop that tight end leaderboard as, with touchdown receptions. He did that, I, I you know, I think before November last year. He ended up not scoring for those last few games. Had some key catches, obviously. Big pickup in uh, in the Reds and got them at the goal line against uh, Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. But he kind of thought he would actually break that record before the end of his sophomore year. Wouldn't that have been something? I don't think it'll take him long here in 2020 to take full possession of that mark, which Mike Kosicki took four years to establish at Penn State. Um, and, and to me, I wrote down that program legend in the making, not just because of, of the mark he's going to leave statistically on this program and and what he's meant for the quarterbacks that he has played with. But yeah, it's the stuff that, that he does beyond the scenes. And Tyler Bowen, and you'll hear in a moment, just went off for a while about the the impact that, that Pat Fryermuth has in the tight end room. But we've heard that about really across the roster. He was a rare true sophomore captain pick last August. We haven't heard who the team captains are this year. I, I certainly think Pat Fryermuth will be one of them. I'd be absolutely stunned if he was not a two-time team captain. But it's really, I feel like since I've covered the team, and maybe there's some other examples you can point to, Sean, I've only, the way we hear Pat talked about in terms of on the field and extending to his presence on the culture at Penn State, that kind of talk for my time on the beat has been reserved pretty much exclusively for either Saquon Barkley or Trace McSorley. And, and I'm sure you can come up with some other names. You've been covering this team a lot longer, but I mean, when we talk about uh, that, that's some incredible company in now seven years of James Franklin's tenure here. Well, the, there are guys like that, but as you mentioned, you, you, when you take into account the talent level, I mean, you, you even we're not even having this conversation about Micah Parsons, who's as talented as as any of those guys. Um, but when you take into account, the, you know, what he means to the pro, or what what he means to his teammates, what he means to all this kind of stuff, it, it it's different because you know Marcus Allen was fantastic. Uh, Mark Allen just loved, you know, was one of those guys that was a spark plug for the program. Even KJ was a spark plug. Um, you know, it's just that you've got a lot of those things going, but you don't hear um, people talk about them like they talk about uh, Fryermuth when you were talking about 
who does he compare to? McSorley was the guy. I mean, Saquon was obviously in a world by himself for talent level and stuff like that. But when you talk about program and drive and everything, you, you almost feel like Pat Frymuth, as talented as he is, you know, has had to work his way in there, which is what you felt about uh, Trace McSorley. Saquon, you knew he was all world from the start. And I mean, I think it kind of lines up with what uh, with what people really want to hear, I guess. And he almost feels like right now, like an extension of that staff in some ways. He just feels like uh, just just so far, so far beyond some of the, the mentalities that, that you're going to find in a college locker room when it's 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. Um, it, it's it's huge for them. And, and it's going to be a, a, a big void to fill when he does leave campus in, in multiple ways. Um, we've heard us talk about uh, Pat Fryermuth at length here. Uh, here's some words from Tyler Bowen, who, as you would expect, never turns down an opportunity to rave about his number one tight end. I've said this a lot of times. I think the number one thing that always sticks out to me about Pat before of, of any of his other attributes is just his emotional maturity, um, his, his ability to just take the game one play at a time and kind of live in the moment. And, and that's how he approaches his offseason from a work ethic standpoint, just to be able to be present, um, be where his feet are, and, and to be able to accomplish tasks over and over and over. Um, I would say that sticks out the most to me. And then, and obviously at this point in his career, just the, just the leadership and the presence that he, that he brings when he's on the field. Um, you know, I've really seen him take a huge role with our younger players this year. But, you know, in, in my opinion, it really comes down to his emotional maturity, just how he handles big situations, how he thrives in the biggest moments of games. And, you know, he knows that none of that can happen without all of the things that lead up to it. He's one of the few guys and the rare guys that love all of the off season as much as he does the game because he understands that those things are going to prepare him to go play in a game. Well, so I'd say those things just, just make him really special. And the last thing would be, you know, just his mental approach to the game, you know, in a lot of ways he's starting to see the game and has for some time, very similar to how a coach does just his film study habits, his note taking habits. I think he's really taken another step in that department and, and that's obviously going to pay dividends for him. Fortunately for Penn State fans, we have a couple more months to talk about Pat Fryermuth at least. So we'll get into more of him uh, coming up here as the season gets closer. But it really just an intriguing room across the board, down the depth chart. And we've talked about this a lot. You look at running back, a room that we've covered at, in detail during our State of the Position series linebacker you love what they've assembled here you love what they've assembled at tight end as well and Zach Koontz you, you talk about we're, we're going to go through this in terms of uh, seniority on the roster and Koontz actually came in a few months ahead of Pat Fryermuth. so technically I guess he should have been on top but we're not leading off the tight end conversation with anybody aside from Pat Zach Koontz you know, a, a guy who you, you look at the six seven frame and you remember that he was a state hurdles champion Sean that combination, the receiving the receiving totals he put up at Camp Hill High School, it all com- combined to make him uh, a, a blue chip plus kind of talent at the tight end spot. A guy who was going to have to learn how to play tight end, though, and that's been the process, uh, building up his body, ramping up the caloric intake. He's talked about uh, eating a lot during his time on campus, but the strength has been important. We're going to hear from Tyler Bowen on that in a second, but one thing that, that Bowen gave us said, Checking in right around 255 at this point, uh, I believe was the number he gave us for Zach Koontz. And, and, you know, that's been, the, you know, kind of monitor, monitored th- since he got to campus is, so what's Zach weighing these days? What's Zach weighing these days? And we talked about this before we came on the podcast. I don't know if there's a guy on this roster right now 
who creates more of a kind of divisive conversation of people who think they know who he is three years into his career on our message boards than Zach Koontz. And, and we don't. And that's the thing. Like you, you talk about the high school accolades and everything. You, and then you look at what we've seen on the practice field. And, and what we've seen on the practice field has been encouraging because, but it's mostly practice squad type stuff. He's been and it's going mostly up, receiving stuff, mostly receiving stuff, making catches over, you know, first team DBs and things like that. And that's, you know, that's fine. But there's a lot more to being an all around tight end. And it's, and it's interesting when you take a look back and, and you see his history with Pat Fryermuth. And we knew, you know, coming into their careers that it would take Koontz a couple of years for him to get accustomed to this. But then all of a sudden Pat Fryermuth takes off and that curve kind of goes away from from Pat Fryermuth's curve. And now you're waiting and maybe maybe redshirt sophomore year was the year that he would eventually play. But when you've got a guy like Fryermuth in front of you, I mean, that's going to cut down on everybody. So um, it's been it's been an interesting way to track it. He, he's up over 255. He's obviously a big guy, still runs well. He's actually a lot stronger than you would think he is based on his relatively thin build. Um, but he's uh, he's he's a complete mystery at this point. And that's really what we, we got to keep going back to. And we're not going to know about him until a couple of games in the season to see how he gets it, to see how they uh, implement him, to see if they play more 12 personnel, to see if they split Firemuth out wide or play Koontz on the wing. You know, he, he, there are ways to use him and it sounds good, but we haven't seen that um, just up front because there's been guys in front of him and that's obviously not uh, uh, not anything or not much that he could do about that because as you know, I thought Nick Bowers was a, a phenomenal player as well. So uh, it, it's very, very interesting to follow this. We had a conversation, I guess we can call it on, on our board at twenty four at Lions 24-7. We talked about the receivers and then it sort of morphed, as sometimes it does, into Zach Koontz. And I think I was talking to you beforehand. A lot of this comes, I think, Zach Koontz is, a, you know, obviously a legacy at Penn State. His older brother Christian played here. Um, so people have been familiar with his name for a long time. He's from Pennsylvania. He's from the mid-state. And people have, you know, sort of gravitated to that. But, I mean... You see the ranking, you see all this kind of stuff, and you expected him to to be on the field by now. Whether that's fair or not, it's kind of up in the air. But I think all the background stuff that he has going for him makes people think that, hey, this guy at this size with what we've heard about his receiving skills could be the guy. And, you know, Fryermuth's just all around better. And there, there's really not much you can do about that. I compared him off air, Tyler, to to Andre Robinson a couple of years ago. And Andre was productive for Penn State, I think, in his redshirt freshman year. He had six touchdowns. Um, so people thought maybe he was better than he was. Now, I think Koontz is a better tight end than Robinson was a running back, but it's it's sort of interesting to see those parallels. Robinson came in with Barkley. Koontz came in with Firemuth. And these guys had to take a back seat. And how they respond is going to be a little bit different because Robinson was obviously Obviously passed up. He's now at Delaware. Koontz, I still think can can be a part of this offense. I think he can play. It's just a uh, it's it's just different tracks that you're watching develop, and it's been it's been really interesting to, to to watch it come along. And I think the most fascinating thing is you don't know, like you don't know which way this could go. I mean, we've we've seen some talent, uh, some. Um, I guess flashes of talent from Koontz. We've heard some good things, but until you get out there, until you can see where the that whether those skills are going to transfer over, you just don't know. And I think that that waiting is probably the hardest part for Penn State fans to deal with, especially with a player that they know fairly intimately from you know his life as a Penn State fan and his life as a as a Penn State with with all these Penn State connections. And because Nick Bowers was able to stay healthy these last couple of years and, and great for him, he's on the Las Vegas Raiders practice squad right now because of the efforts he put in at Penn State. 
didn't require you to rush Zach Koontz uh, as an unfinished product. And we don't know if he's a finished product now. I'd imagine there's still work to be done. But you didn't have to rush him out there and then potentially have a liability in the blocking game or get his confidence down because he didn't have he wasn't ready uh, to play Big Ten football. Nick Bowers, I think his presence on the roster, his ability to be there as the number two guy in those 12 personnel packages was huge for Penn State the last couple of years. And, and they need to fill that role. And Zach Koontz is the guy we're all eyeing up. Just a couple of numbers to give you that were from Zach Koontz this summer when, when we got him on a call. I know you spoke to him uh, last week, but but he gave us these numbers. Now checking in at six foot seven, two hundred and fifty five pounds, he said his he was faster and jumping higher than ever. He's gave us a low four six range forty yard dash on his most recent test and a thirty eight and a half inch vertical leap. Last time we saw Zach Koontz running routes uh, uh, in a substantial uh, pace and at a, su- a substantial volume, he was averaging about 27 yards per catch as a senior at Camp Hill and clearly the best athlete on the football field. There was no question about it. Is he ready to step up and play Big Ten football? Is he ready to go block Big Ten defenders consistently and open holes for his running backs and protect his quarterback we know the flashes that you're talking about, what he can do vertically in this game, the, the matchups he can create. But is he going to be kind of a, a gadget player or is he going to be a guy who can put his hand in the dirt and be your tight end? Maybe your number two this year, maybe your starter next year. Yeah, that's a that's just a good question, and we don't have the answer to that yet. So, and, and and what you mentioned about you know the fades and and you know mossing guys and things like that in practice, it's kind of a very small part of being a Penn State tight end. As we've seen, you know, Fryermuth has done phenomenal things out there as a pass catcher, as a blocker. He's he's been pretty good as a blocker, which you know, pretty good as a blocker in a college tight end right now is 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 elite. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, so it, it's been interesting to see that. And, and what what role does he fill? Do you take a receiver off the field, which Given the receiver numbers, I can see why people jump to this conclusion that Koontz would play more um, because you take a receiver off the field, you add a talent to tight end, and boom, that changes some things. So, and I and I think we do see that, but until you know we see more of Koontz and we see, I guess I'm kind of a uh, I'll I'll believe it when I see it type guy, and I think that's what what Koontz fits. I think Koontz fits the bill as I stumble over myself. I think Koontz fits fits the bill there. He's been commit. He was committed to Penn State as a junior uh, during that junior season back in November of, of 2016. So, got you know, Penn State fans have known all about this kid. He got his offer before then for four plus years, and you're just kind of waiting to you know, you know about this kid, you hear about this kid as a recruit, then you, about what he's doing on the practice field, and and you want to see it come to fruition now if you're a Penn State football fan. And I also understand why there is some apprehension, and uh, you know, you because of what this 2018 class has given you from a skill position standpoint you've got again an, an all-timer and Pat Fryermuth which is great we're going to learn about what Will Levis is under Kirk Shiraka at that quarterback spot but Ricky Slade's gone Justin Shorter's gone we're still waiting for it from Daniel George to this point it's it's Fryermuth and you got Jahan Dotson who's, who needs to take a step forward this year I think there's just a little bit of scarring that's been done from that 2018 class and people want to see this kid come through I, I don't I don't know that I agree with you there. I mean, I don't think we lump those guys together like that all that much, but I think that you're certainly right. I mean, it's been hit and miss with that with that crew, but I think it's more about we, we know so much about Koontz. He's been such a familiar name. Like I said, his brother Christian played here, so you've known, you know, the diehards have known about Zach for a long, long time as the most uh, talented one that would come along. Brandon actually was in, uh, you know, was in the mixes there as a walk-on as well, the middle the middle son. So you've been hearing about this guy for so long, and, and really, you 
you, you want to believe six, seven and a half, 250. And by the way, outside of Shaka Tony, I don't know that anybody's weight has been talked about more than Zach Koontz, but you, you just want him to, you, you think that he could be sort of like this Madden creative player, like this. He's got this size. He's got this speed. He's got all these, um, accolades that, that he's built up over the years. But until you get him out on the field, you know, it's a little bit different to play in Madden. Here's what Bowen said about Koontz. And again, strength was a key word in his evaluation. I think Zach has has made huge strides, um, starting to kind of put it all together with that physical strength coming apart. And and Zach is a super sharp guy. Um, So starting to put it all together and be able to produce it on the field. um, You know, I've really seen him take a step in that area of this training camp. Um, Always been a a very gifted guy athletically, but now seeing him, the work he's put in uh, with our nutritionists and, and everything to get to this point, carrying 250 to 255 and, and being that guy that's a, that's a multi-tool player, right? Which is what all the tight ends in our program strive to be. Not, not only a great route runner, um, that, that's awesome, but also a, a great run blocker, a great pass protector, good on the perimeter, really just in every facet of the game. And that allows us to use those guys in, in more multiple ways. So um, I have seen him take another step. It's been exciting to watch him go out and work. His approach uh, is as good as it's ever been. So I'm excited to see what Zach can do for us this year. And very quickly, before we move on, for those not aware, the timeline of this was Pat Fryermuth committed in August of 2016. Zach Kuntz committed in uh, th- around Thanksgiving of 2016. And then Kyle Pitts, who's a guy from Archbishop Wood, who's obviously an All-American, a guy that is off to a phenomenal start to the season. He was on the board. They wanted him. They wanted him bad. I mean, they, they, they thought Pitts was very, very good. And obviously they were right, but they wanted him as an athlete. Uh, they would have taken him as a tight end, but you can't really take three tight ends, especially at that level. So, of course, Pitts ends up in Florida. By the way, you think Fryermuth is sort of sliding those box scores to uh, to Tyler Bowen and James Franklin saying, hey, he's got a he's got a six touchdown head uh, head start on me from the start of the season. Maybe, you know, if we want those All-Americans, we want that Mackey Award, or at least be a Mackey Award finalist. Eh, maybe you should uh, throw me a couple extra balls here in the early outset. A bit of a head start toward that Mackey Award consideration for Kyle Pitts. Two games for the fourth ranked Florida Gators, 12 receptions, 227 yards, six touchdowns. Uh if you're that, playing that's, college that's fantasy, ridiculous. Kyle Pitts yeah. was a good, good pick. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I know. Fryermuth has talked about the All-American stuff, the 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 Mackey Award in his focus. And and also, hey, first guy off that NFL draft board. If it hasn't been Fryermuth on those mock drafts, it's been Kyle Pitts out of Florida. And he's certainly making his case. Uh, Pat Fryermuth will, will have his shot to, to begin that uh, in a couple weeks. And, and he'll get a chance to, to issue his response on behalf of Penn State's offense. Um, we, we talked a lot about Koontz there. Uh, we're going to focus in on Brenton Strange. And we've kind of paired these two up in that battle for the uh, Nick Bowers vacant number two role behind Pat Fryermuth and potentially the heir apparent to that starting job though as we will get to in a moment there's a couple newcomers that 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 bear uh, a lot of attention that warrant a lot of attention as well uh, but with Brenton Strange he was among the biggest gainers we talked about Zach Koontz packing on the pounds Brenton Strange Diza Isaac they were a couple of the guys that that really blew up during their first year on campus in a good way um, another guy who, who you know played essentially as a receiver down in West, uh, at his high school in West Virginia, Parkersburg. Um, what do we make of Brenton Strange at this point? This is a guy that we didn't get asked about uh, during the, the Tyler Bowen audio 
video, so we're going to do the heavy lifting here. Um, but but he's someone who it really just seemed off the bat was getting strong feedback uh, from the Penn State staff about how he showed up, ready to work, and, and ready to get to it physically and embracing everything that a tight end needs to do at this level. Now he's listed at 6'3", 248, which I think he came in right around 215 Two, or so. 215, 220, yeah. Yeah, so that's a those are some big games. And you mentioned Isaac. I mean, it's a similar sort of blowing up in a, in a good way. So, I mean, they like Strange a lot as a guy that can really do some different things for you. I think it's it's interesting to me. He's battling Koontz for the backup spot, but you put six seven and a half beside six three, and he's six four. I mean, he's I'm not sure why they list him at six three because he's taller than that. But uh, he's been you know a guy that you can move across the formation. Just very different tight ends going for the same backup role, and I think that's that's been interesting to see. So. I think they they think a lot of his talent. They think he could be, you know, one of those football guys that plays tight end, plays defensive end. Uh, I don't foresee a position switch ever coming in his career, but he could do it if they wanted him to. Um, so it, it's just a very talented guy in a situation where you know he could he could absolutely pass Zach Kuntz. I think he's he's got a lot going for him. We saw last year. I think he had one catch for the touchdown, four yards early in the season. Then didn't see much of him after that, but. Uh, just a lot to like about his growth and physical maturation to date. And the, the hands go, the, the hands have stuck. Uh, a lot of things that you saw in that high school highlight tape have, have sort of stuck on. And then you add 30 pounds to it is, is definitely a good direction to go in. Like Coons, I will say, you know, sort of t- trying to tap the brakes on the hype for both of these guys until they do it in the game. I, I don't know how much you're going to see uh, that. And that's where not having a non-conference schedule, I think, is really going to hurt you in places like this where you're having this hotly anticipated battle behind Friarmuth. But when you're having this hotly anticipated battle, you want to see more of those guys playing you know, against uh, Kent State or against somebody like that. So I think that that's kind of the part where it sucks, where you can't really differentiate these guys without playing them against Indiana, without playing them against Ohio State. Yeah, the first two appearances in Beaver Stadium for Brenton Strange in a Penn State uniform went very well. I believe he was tied or had outright the team lead in, in catches in the blue-white game, which you know, read into that what you will, but it's a guy that's going out there making some catches in front of a, a crowd in a Penn State uniform. Then he shows up uh, and, and gets in the end zone against Idaho last year in, in, in an opener. That was that was a lot of fun for, for Nittany Lions fans. But you know the receiving stuff was all very apparent. Um, uh, you know that that prowess that he brought to, to that uh, to the past game in high school at Parkersburg, two thousand plus receiving yards as an upperclassman there. But but beyond the Idaho game, you think, okay, are we going to see more of this kid? Not really. We saw him briefly at Michigan State, and that was it. Uh, retained that redshirt status, had those two games, and, and the rest of the work he did was behind the scenes last year. Um, one thing I will note, and this is just another testament to what Pat Fryermuth means to this room, this was a kid who was meeting with Pat Fryermuth when they were away from campus every Sunday. Now, they have their regular positional meetings. You've got your regular team meetings. All that stuff, all the obligations you got to check off the list, but what you put in extra, that tends to add up at the end of the day and and, and get you ready to get back on campus in this insane situation that all these players encountered here in 2020. Pat said they go over, they went over the offense, uh, just answering any questions, trying to remove any gray area. That was something they consistently did that extra meeting session on Sundays, and says something about Pat Fryermuth, and it says something about Brenton Strange. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of an example of where this room is as as a you know when you talk talent level, as my dog shakes off, uh, as you talk talent level, um, it's just it's it's in such a different spot. We mentioned that 2018 before that season, you had Holland, you had Bowers, who obviously was in and out of being healthy and Danny Dalton. So comparing third stringers, you've got Brenton Strange with Danny Dalton. 
to me, there's really no question, you know, who the more talented guy is. And, and I think it's pretty sizable. So I think it, uh, it says a lot about how far these guys have come in the last couple of years. Cause I think both, both Koontz and strange, they have a lot of talent. It's just, you know, un- sort of unfortunate for them that the guy in front of them has as much talent as anybody in the country. And the guy behind them, Theo Johnson, he's got a lot of talent too. And this is a stacked room, Sean, but he is the highest rated recruit in the room right now. And uh, Pat Fryermuth said this uh, when, when they brought in Theo, throw all the recruiting stuff out the window and get to work. But it's something that we note here in 24-7 sports. He had the highest rating from 24-7 sports. He was the number three tight end, uh, I was going to say, in the country, actually coming down from Canada. So uh, on the globe in terms of 24-7 sports uh, consideration for that 2021, 2020 recruiting class, it was one that went down to the wire. Georgia, Iowa, Michigan all involved for Theo out of Windsor, Ontario. Picks Penn State, gets hurt in the Under Armour All-American preparation. Uh, he killed it a dislocated shoulder, but he also was waiting on an MRI. Enrolled at, at Penn State, got that MRI pretty quickly, I would imagine. And we learned from James Franklin back in March that if there was a spring practice to, to be had, uh, Theo would not have been participating because of his recovery from there. Uh, Bowen pointed out that, that mentally, spring was still an important time, that early enrollment meant something. Uh, I think Theo was still physically involved in, in what they were doing during the, the during the offseason, um, and now he seems ready to roll. And I don't know what it means, um, the fact that Brent Strange and Zach Koontz also missed out on an opportunity to hit the field for 15 spring practices. It seemed like a huge platform for them and an important platform for them, and maybe it evens things out. I will tell you this. We talked about weight gainers and, and the importance of building those guys up, Zach Koontz and, and, and Brenton Strange, and, and over the course of their careers. And not an issue here uh, with young Mr. Theo Johnson, who makes his de- uh, debut on the on the roster here for his first season, Sean, standing six foot six, two hundred and fifty eight pounds. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty big, pretty big. Uh, no matter what country he's from, that's pretty big. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I, I I have talked on our board a lot about Theo Johnson. I am extremely high on what he brings to the table. Now he's got to prove it at some point. I'm curious to see how he's used this year or how much he's used this year because of the guys in front of him. But I think he's a guy that physically profiles as a guy that might not be on campus for four years. So he's got a lot going for him athletically, size. Um, you know, he's really stepped it up. And I think I've mentioned this a couple times. He was not always the hardest worker. And even when Penn State, back when Penn State offered him at camp, which was the same camp as they offered Brenton Strange, those guys were side by side, was not always the hardest worker. Kicked it up a notch in the last uh, year and a half, and really has taken it to the next level. And he's a guy that they could see as a as a high draft pick. I mean, he just he just brings so many good things to the table. So it will it remains to be seen how his career is going to be played out. But it started off. They're very impressed with how it started off. And and I think even if we're talking about there is eligibility clock ticking right now. Um, you mentioned this earlier. It, 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 did it, you think regardless of whether we're talking about eligibility or not, Theo Johnson would have been in a good shot to, to warrant green light consideration? We know that's all off the table now, but do you think he was able to make that kind of impression uh, behind the scenes even without the spring practices? I think so. And and still, I'm, you know, kind of leaning on that uh, probably a yellow, uh, like a light yellow greenish type guy because of the guys that were in front of him. But you know, from a talent level, he's a guy that could probably step on the field and play for a lot of schools right now. And I think uh, Penn State, given what is in that tight end room, is probably the only thing holding that back. And oh, by the way, as we continue to circle back this conversation to, to Mr. Fryermuth, 
huge, huge part of the recruiting process. Theo said to, to be able to get at least one year learning from a guy like Pat Fryermuth, he viewed that as invaluable as he considered his options. And he said it, it, it did not feel like something that Fryermuth was being coerced into doing in their conversations along the way, especially as it came down to his commitment. Those were some in-depth conversations about what his future would look like at Penn State, what it would look like immediately as Fryermuth said, I'll take you under the wing and you'll be ready to be the next star Penn State player. And, and if you're Zach Coons, you're Brenton Strange, can't take a day off here because you're sandwiched in between two really talented players as well. I know these guys are talented, but I wouldn't count out Theo Johnson for making a major leap. And, and, you know, and we'll see what it looks like in 2021, but off to a good start. And here's what, here's what Tyler Bowen, uh, said about Theo Johnson. We had a story up on lines 24 seven about this on Thursday, but, uh, you know, just really impressive stuff so far. Theo's done a nice job uh, really acclimating into the room. And really, I think the spring was beneficial for him from a mental standpoint. Um, But overall, I've been impressed with him. He's obviously, he's got all the physical tools uh, to be an elite tight end at this level. But so far, I've been really impressed with his development, his work ethic, how he approaches every day. Um, You know, that there's a lot of really positive things that I could say about Theo so far. And you know, there, there are still the things, just like any freshman, right? They're learned experiences on the field and off the field when you get to college. But I've been very impressed with his maturity and, and just how he approaches every practice. If you thought we were done breaking this room down, we're not there yet because there is another freshman. Um, like in 2018, you bring in two more here in, in the 2020 class, and uh, you go from Theo Johnson to Tyler Warren, who was once committed to play quarterback at Virginia Tech, uh, ultimately ends up being a top 25 tight end prospect um, in 24-7 sports evaluation, a guy that if you heard Barton Simmons, director of scouting for 24-7 sports on our show after signing day, he pointed to to this kid and then Joe Johnson at cornerback as two guys he feels like could really be sleepers essentially in this class or, or guys who are going to ultimately exceed their recruiting clout, recruiting rating. And the, the athleticism's off the charts for Tyler Warren. Look at the basketball film. Sean posted that at some point. A uh, guy who also is a baseball standout, but um, you know he's the mystery man in this class. I think we've called him that before, and he's got plenty of time. There is zero rush because of all the things we've just gone over with the four guys um, uh, that that join him on a scholarship in this tight end room. Let things materialize. Let Tyler Warren take his steps as a tight end and see what you get out the other side. Up to 250 pounds already. He's only been on campus for a few months. So uh, physically, just this room looks completely different than it did a couple of years ago. Um, and, and and Warren, is he fits in. I mean, he's 6'5 and a half, 250, uh, runs pretty well. I, I think it's going to take some time for him to catch up as a tight end. So he's one of those guys that I would have classified as a red light, but they, they like what they've seen from him so far. He's got uh, a lot in his background that would, would lend to, I guess, sort of lend a proof of what we've seen guys be successful with. He's got, you know, he's a former high school quarterback. He obviously knows how to how to run things there. The basketball is what I keep going back to is just like you know, this this looked like Mike Kosicki's basketball highlight tape. And Mike Kosicki was not 235 pounds uh, and 250 pounds as a freshman. So New Jersey uh, dunk champion, Mike Kosicki. So that, yeah. that's a high praise from you because this kid was throwing it down. And by the way, Pat Fryermuth, without even being asked about it, he said, I've, you know, I've seen the basketball highlights and this kid throws it down. He does. And he throws it down with authority and, and with athleticism. And, you know, he's he's got no problem, you know, going through traffic or anything. Yeah, he's there's a lot to like there. Um, you, you know, I like multi athletes and no doubt about mm-hmm. it. And I think college coaches feel the same way. Um, football and basketball is as good of a combination as there is. I mean, especially for this position, you can, you know, you can break that down for, for other positions. You, 
wrestling and things like that. But football and basketball is as good as it gets for a future tight end. And, you know, they, they like what they see in Tyler Warren. I think uh, I was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe he might get a bump to four-star status on 24-7 sports at the end of the cycle, just based on some of the stuff that we've seen and, and some of the stuff we take into account when considering the position. But he got close. He was an 88, so he's very close to being a, a four-star. So like Tyler Warren, I'm curious to see, like those guys that are, you know, jockeying for the second and third spot, I'm curious to see how coming in the class with Theo Johnson does. And I'm curious to see what this tight end room looks like in a year or two, because not only do they have, you know, these, these two freshmen and, and those guys, but they're, they're going to be eligible for a long time with these new rules. Long time. And, and, and by the way, Barton Simmons said he kind of feels like Tyler Warren in retrospect, a couple of years down the line, they may say this kid was a four-star prospect, but he says they got to be careful about going about guessing uh, on some guys who haven't even played the position. And then, you know, so that was kind of what held them back from, from making that leap with him. Yeah, the eligibility is insane in this room. Um, it, it's going to impact college football and rosters across the board. But this room in particular, um, you're looking at Fryermuth final run this year, barring something incredibly unforeseen. He'll be off playing on Sundays in 2021. And you'll have these guys back, and, and, and they'll have some new friends too, but Kuntz, Strange, Johnson, Warren, all eligible through 2023. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have five guys on freshman status in 2021. Uh, one of those classic third-year freshmen and in, in, in Brenton Strange. You'll have Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, regardless of how much they play this year or don't play, they will be freshmen still in 2021. And oh, by the way, you've got two top 10 tight end prospects in your 2021 class right now with, uh, with Holden Stays and uh, Jerry Cross. Five freshmen, Sean, and then Zach Coons, who will still be a sophomore. I mean, holy crud. I, I don't know how long all those guys are going to stay on campus together, but... What a, what a kind of an embarrassment of riches in that tight end room for Penn State, even when we factor in that Pat Frymuth will be out of the equation. Holy crud indeed. <laughs> um, yes, no. So, uh, and, and, you know, they're still after Khalil Dinkins, who could very much be a part of this class of 2021. So, I mean, you just, you look at the numbers and I think that's one of those positions, especially with tight end. I mean, you can get two tight ends on the field, but they're, at the end of the day, there's usually going to be only one starting tight end. So, you know, I, I don't know if something's going to give there, but that's, uh, that's something to, to, to take into account the next couple of years. I think the advantage here, of course, you, you assume Friar Muse gone after 2021. So, you know, it gives you a little bit of breathing room, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of guys with a, a lot of eligibility, sort of compacting at the at the lower end of that scholarship chart. In terms of when I say lower end, I mean you know the freshman eligibility. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because right now you, you don't even know how this 2020 season is going to play out, especially with the backups. So um, it's very interesting to, to track this over the next couple of years. No shortage of talent. Holden Stays had another big game the other night. I mean just. It's a fantastic, uh, fantastic situation to be in for these guys. I misspoke, of course, stays cross in the 2022 class, so they will factor in a little bit later. It won't be as widespread of a, of a freshman group in 2021 as I just described, but if you were to bring in someone like Akil, Khalil Dinkins, um, uh, uh, the pit legacy who is trending towards Penn State in the crystal ball uh, with some help from Sean there, uh, you're looking at uh, the still four freshman uh, status guys in 2021, followed by uh, what we anticipate to be another special tight end class in 2022. So regardless of those freshman numbers, uh, they were wrong when I gave you 
debuted them first. They're still quite uh, quite impressive and just really unprecedented when we look at at what where Penn State and where college football is going with with the, the just the third year freshmen and all that different stuff we're going to have to come to terms with. Um, I think that's a wrap on the tight end room. And clearly, we could spend a lot of time talking about one of uh, the, from a roster standpoint and a roster size standpoint, Sean, one of the smaller rooms at Penn State. But there's just a lot to like about this group. I mean, we've spoken for almost 45 minutes about that's it. That's going to do it for the podcast. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much end. an episode yeah. right there. We got a couple <laughs> things to discuss on the other end here, but uh, yeah, we got to, uh, we're going all in on tight ends today. I guess it's kind of our ode to Pat, you know, it's, it's been, yeah. uh, it, we, like I said, we, we opened the show by saying we take him for granted and then we talked about him for 15 minutes. So I think that's kind of the trade-off that we got here today. All right, we'll get to another position next week and then another on the next episode. But for now, we'll step aside, come back after the break, and we'll touch on another major roster move that Penn State is dealing with moving ahead. Also, a quick recruiting update, along with our five-star mailbag, all right around the corner. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Penn State, uh, as we are just two weeks away from the Indiana matchup, has warranted a lot of attention at the receiver position. It's a spot where Jahan Dotson remains your uh, really the only known commodity. We've talked about Keandre Lambert and, and Parker Washington uh, stepping up as true freshmen, seemingly going to get a lot of run early in the year. Guys like Daniel George, Cam Sullivan Brown have been around for a bit to contribute. Hasn't been as much conversation on that 2019 receiver class. It was a small one. Both guys out of Florida, TJ Jones, John Dunmore. We now know why John Dunmore wasn't getting referenced much on media day, if at all. Sean, you broke the story. Dunmore, not with Penn State for the 2020 season, a four-star prospect from that 2019 class. Yeah, it's a situation. He's back in Florida. That's uh, something that obviously came to light actually a few weeks ago. And that's just kind of, at this time, you're not sure which you know, which way to go on this. And this is something where, you know, we, we had talked about him potentially entering the portal. We talked about him potentially seeking a transfer, but you know, when it came to it and we, we went over this a couple of times, just so we were not wrong, he withdrew from school from the semester. I think what's interesting to me, I think that door is still open for him to come back. Uh, will that happen? It's really hard to say. I mean, it, that that's something that, that we'll have discussions with uh, that, that, excuse me, he'll have discussions with the staff in the future and, and sort of continue continue to figure out where he's at and what he um, has going through or what he is going through right now and getting through what he's going through right now. So that's a lot of personal stuff that you know doesn't need to be aired out on here, but I think the door is is open for him to come back. And I think that's a, a positive sign. Um, would he have competed right now? I think he would have been in the mix there, especially that Z position. You look at the spring depth chart, TJ Jones was listed as the starter. Dunmore was listed right there. I don't know that Dunmore and Jones maybe made the strides that they thought they could make, especially over that redshirt freshman year. 
But I mean that, that they didn't get spring ball, they didn't get summer, you know, training with the team and things like that. So I think that certainly could hurt him, especially like s- someone like Dunmore, who would have relied heavily on you know the meal plan, the the, the nutrition, the, uh, the 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 weight room and things like that. So he's a guy that needed to add some weight to get more physical, and and that's tough to do when you're training on your own. So I think that you know he would have potentially been a factor, but I was not counting on him as a starter. And this year, I think they've really switch some things around, maybe play some guys at some different positions. Of course, we've heard about Keandre Lambert. Of course, we've heard about Parker Washington. Um, so so I think they'll be okay without Dunmore, but he's a talented kid. You'd like to get him back on campus if you could. One of the earlier examples that Jaywan Sider brought something different to the table for Penn State, previously was committed to the Florida Gators, was Dunmore when Jaywan Sider was down there in Gainesville, played a massive role, attended his state championship game down there and, and ultimately bringing him on board. Him and Noah Kane were kind of turned some heads, I think, across uh, Nittany Lions Nation and really across the Big Ten about, oh, well, they got cooking with, with J1 Sider right now. Um, elsewhere on the roster, and you love to see these stories, uh, conversely, Chris Stoll placed on scholarship. And man, I know you were pumped to sit down and write that long snapper story. The, 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 just moments like that don't come around enough for you, Sean. I got him one-on-one, man. It was awesome. Uh, you know me as a former snapper, I'm always excited to talk shop with him. But no, it's one of the cool things in college football when you see these guys that have worked hard. He's been he's a redshirt junior. He's uh, you know had his first year as a starter last year, was one of Penn State's run-ons of the year. For him to get rewarded like that is is fantastic. And uh, you know I don't think that there's, you know, you're not going to get too much ink if you're a long snapper unless it comes from me. But uh, it's it's just one of the cool stories about college football, and Stoll deserves it. Yeah, I talked to him last week before this came through, um, and he was just you know he's happy to be here. He's happy to to be part of this special teams unit, and it's it's interesting for me uh, for, for him as a snapper. Um, it's it's a very different sort of expectation level because you see Penn State brings in a long snapper every year. And typically those guys, you know, they might be on the roster for a year or two and they transfer. You settle into one snapper and you go with it. Stoll has been able to uh, sort of solidify himself over the last couple of years. It's the only one that when I've asked uh, people around the program, I've asked for, you know, offseason standouts or practice standouts. Chris Stoll has been mentioned in there and I have to do a double take because he is a long snapper, but it's a very important position. One of the most important positions, some would say. Um, But no, he's really done a phenomenal job. And I look back at the stats last year and they back it up and and, you know, he just does everything right for your program. So it's happy. To, I'm happy to see those guys rewarded. You don't realize how important that position is until you don't have a good long snapper. And then it becomes very apparent how important that position is. Uh, so congrats to Chris. Always a great moment to see guys get rewarded uh, for their hard work and, uh, and moving forward on scholarship. Um, that, that kind of led you to put together a roster review earlier this week, Sean. And um, one thing that continues to stand out to me, and, and I was reminded of this, and it was actually a, a one player lower than I thought it was, but an eight scholarship class that carries senior eligibility and just another reminder and we'll keep doing this none of the seniors technically run out of eligibility after this year I don't know if you'll see them all at Penn State or any of them back at Penn State but they all still have the green light to play college football in 2021 because of this pause in the eligibility clock and this is something we talked about with a couple of the seniors last week including Antonio Shelton and and there's a line there I mean you look at that that group and I think Jaquan Brisker you know has NFL talent I think Tariq Castro-Field, Shaka Tony, Lamont Wade, Michael Mennett, those guys are there. But then you have those guys, those other guys where you've got uh, Shane Simmons, who obviously came in heralded, but, you know, hasn't done a ton. Um, Excuse me, uh, Will Fries and Antonio Shelton, guys that are maybe borderline, uh, maybe undrafted free agent types, catch on in camp or whatnot. 
excuse me. Um, so it, it's it's very interesting to see whether or not those guys will take advantage of it. And then wh- what gets me is you go into the next class, which the junior class has 20 scholarship guys, and you know you include Chris Stoll in that mix, and those are year to year, but still 19 or 20 guys, and they're going to be juniors next year too. So that's yeah. that's very interesting to me, especially because when you're forecasting you know, your numbers for 2022, you're looking at that, that junior class to see how many scholarships you have usually. That's a big, big class. So uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, um, and they've got an, uh, you know they got eighteen scholar- or eighteen sophomores behind them. I don't know how they're going to do it, but it's it's just uh, it's going to be a balancing act for all college football teams after the twenty twenty one season because you know eventually that that number's got to come back down. But at the same time, I mean, you, when you've got lumped classes like this, it makes it hard to sort of manage that roster. Yeah, I think there are you know at least a few of those third year guys that you say uh, going to be an op- a nice opportunity for them to to hit the the uh, NFL draft early on, and, and Pat Fryer was at the forefront of that. But we've mentioned some others on recent episodes. One other thing that stood out to me, Sean, and it's something that we've talked about before. It's going to be interesting to see how things get sorted out in the defensive line. I was going through that scholarship allocation, and I'm like, defensive lineman, defensive tackle, like. There's a lot going on there, and and just you know we know some of the guys at the top, but there's such a an array of of, of younger guys on scholarship, and we know how important those scholarships are. You're you're going to be able to bring in a small class here in the 2021 cycle. Probably like to bring in a bigger class in 2022. I think ultimately with the new with the new coaching staff there on the defensive front, with Deion Barnes helping out and, and John Scott leading the charge. They're going to learn a lot about that group, and and you're probably going to have to to have some tough conversations eventually moving forward. Well, when you look at the potential for attrition, I mean, you've got uh, 11 defensive tackles on scholarship. That's probably too many. Um, you know, last year they kind of cut down on on the number of defensive ends that they've had, and they've sort of balanced themselves back out. Um, seven cornerbacks, seven safeties. Where I think last year it was it was nine and six. So they've balanced themselves out at some spots, but you've got a lot of freshman eligibility defensive tackles. I mean, it's there's really no way around it. Uh, and I think what it's six of them have freshman eligibility right now. That's that's a lot, and they're going to have freshman eligibility next year. So something's got to give at that position. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but uh, you got to. I think you got to get those numbers back down. Uh, receiver is down, of course, with the transfers and the withdrawals and things like that. But you're bringing in a couple of receivers, not slated to lose any after this year. Of course, you know it, it happens at every position. So it'll be very interesting. There, I have at 91 right now with the uh, current 2021 commits at this time last year, or in August when I did this last year, they had 90. So it's not really all that uh, far out of the realm of possibility that they'll be under going into next year, even though they won't take a huge class in 2021. So um, it's just something to document as you move forward. Roster balance is, is supremely important. And then of course you, you know, you have guys like Hamler leave after three years, Michael Parsons leave after two years and sort of throws some things out of whack, but you want to get yourself to be as close to your template as possible. And really quickly, going back to something that Chris Hummer, Chris Hummer, national analyst with 24-7 Sports, told us when he was on the podcast, uh, I think about a week ago, he said, you know, some of these teams are, are starting to try to keep a little bit of a stockpile for scholarships for the transfer portal and what they can do there. And we've seen... You know, perennial playoff contenders pick up a piece here, a piece there. It's not always the star quarterback, although that's where you get a lot of the spotlight on with these transfer portal moves. Uh, the, we're still kind of waiting for to see where Penn State makes a big splash move there. You almost had, uh, you know, uh, George Campbell, a former five star, high four star, coming in last year, didn't work out, ends up at West Virginia. 
Aside from that, we haven't seen you know a, a major splash move in the, from the transfer portal. We're not going to see it before this season, but just another thing to keep keep your mind on. And as if Andy Frank didn't have enough on his plate, and that staff <laughs> that deals with the the player personnel decisions, 2020 is, is throwing a wrench into the plans and, and making everybody improvise on the fly. So a, a lot of work to be done there, and, and still a lot of answers to come. I'm sure that they're looking for from the NCAA. Yeah, I mean that 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 is something that in the next couple of years you're going to see waivers, and then I think next year the one year transfer, or excuse me, the uh, the sitting out a year for transfer goes away completely. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving parts in this over the next couple of seasons. Getting into some recruiting talk very quickly here, um, Penn State commits maybe some friends uh, on campus this weekend. We have confirmation from Caden Saunders uh, in the 2022 class, the initial commitment there, and then uh, also Landon Tengwell, uh, the, who's uh, you know kind of been that vocal leader since he committed uh, for the Penn State class in late March. Uh, I know he's excited to get back to campus his first time since pre-pandemic. I believe this is the first time Caden Saunders will be on campus since he committed. So an exciting time for them. We've talked about this before. It, it, it's it's not entirely uh, it's not entirely just showing up on campus and, and not having a plan. You're going to have uh, an, an opportunity for essentially a self guided tour um, provided you know, and some some key points to check out. But you can't get into program facilities. You're not going to see these guys standing on the practice field like you you know like like you normally might have access to th- some things within Penn State. But important for these guys to get on campus and and we'll be keeping tabs again. Again, if, if they end up rendezvousing with some guys who maybe aren't committed to Penn State this weekend, uh, still trying to sort through some details. I don't know. Landon's pretty tall. He can probably see over the fence into practice. So that, <laughs> yes. that, one, that one makes sense. He can let us yeah. know what he sees. <laughs> so more going on in that 2021 class, um, sort of up in the air on a decision date. Uh, we, we've gotten a decision date from Derek Davis, which is November 14th. We've also gotten some you know, crossed wires from that camp that says, Probably or maybe not November fourteenth, but maybe around those times. I think his dad's just trying to you know protect him from pigeonholing himself into having a decision date. But you still like where Penn State stands there. Ohio State's still in there. LSU's in there. Georgia still in there as well. Pitt, uh, of course, hanging around uh, too. But really hasn't been able to get out and visit any of these spots. He's talked about taking these unofficial unofficials to LSU and Georgia. They haven't come through. I know USC was a spot that he wanted to go to, but this is a kid that's a December or a graduate and January enrollee. That dead period wipes out all those potential official visits and things that he might wait for in the new year. I know that there are some prospects in the 2021 class who are sort of trying to wait it out and see if they can take these officials in the new year. Not going to be an option with Derek Davis. So he's looking mid, we'll, we'll call it mid November. The 14th is what he says, but we'll call it mid-November. And, you know, if you're Penn State, I know it's 2021 class and I know it's the year 2020, but you, you got to feel like you're on top right now. You got to finish that one out. And so far, that's something that they've struggled with in this cycle. If it moves the needle, we'll find out. But Penn State will play Ohio State before that decision. And I wrote this week, there's just there's a chance here for Penn State to, to j- just go out and show what it can do on the football field. And that's more than what we thought they might have before signing day. Don't want to go too far down the road, but, uh, you know, there's a chance. There's a chance for Penn State and that didn't exist just four weeks ago. Um, so we'll see if they can convert on that. And, and by the way, one other thing that popped up on our website was uh, uh, Steve Wiltfong providing a VIP update um, for our for our VIP subscribers out there. Check it out. Tyler Booker, one of the premier offensive linemen in the 2022 class, a kid who's from the Northeast, relocated to, to play at IMG Academy on the Gulf Coast in Florida, 
really high on Penn State, likes what he's hearing from from Phil Troutwine, a guy that they've been putting in good work with and kind of adds to that conversation. I know he's a player you mentioned, Sean, in that 2022 cycle where Penn State has, has put in good work in, uh, with thus far, and it seems like they're, they're in good shape with a lot of offensive linemen um, in that class. So just a name out there, and, and, and that's something that's up on the lines 24-7 right now if you want to take a longer look. And I believe you talked to him back in March or sometime yeah. in the spring, and he was set to come up for a visit in March, and it just obviously fell apart. But uh, I feel like everybody that we talk about was set to come up for a visit I mean, in March, but, doesn't but it? That's <laughs> the thing. I think there's value in in guys that actually were planning on visiting. You know, you take a look at, and I know this kind of this time has passed, but you take a look at Tyler Booker wanted to visit. Uh, you, you mentioned Caden Saunders had a couple of visits set. Gunnar Givens, the five-star offensive tackle from Virginia, who Penn State's in the mix with, he he was going to come up and you know even said Penn State was one of the schools that he definitely was going to check out in the next month, and I think that was early March. So you just take a look at these little things and you think, okay, you can sort of gauge some interest levels there, and 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 it's you know we're we're nibbling at crumbs right now because that's what we've got to to work with when we take a look back at our stuff in March. Um, but you can sort of see that uh, that transfer over to, and you know, there's been guys that have ended up in Penn State's class that have been in that in that group. And isn't it something? Derek Davis was the first piece to know on the on the Penn State 2021 recruiting trail way back, right after his freshman year of high school. And now he's the last big piece that we feel like we're, we're monitoring. That's a long time, Sean, that you've been talking and writing about this kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, he was a freshman standout as a running back and it was like, okay, well, this kid's going to be good. I mean, you just, lo- you looked <laughs> yeah. at it, you, you put the tape on and you knew it. So, you know, we don't have uh, the Davis fatigue that some might, but uh, hopefully it's, it's over in uh, five weeks now. Uh, one positive rookie note here. Well, there's, there's a few positive rookie notes out there. I know Dan Chisena, I think had a, had a fumble recovery, which, you know, getting his ball in the hands in the NFL, who thought Dan Chisena would have possession of a football in an NFL game here in 2020. That's exciting stuff. But the guy I wanted to put a spotlight on Sean is Itor Grosmatos. He dealt with uh, the concussion protocol earlier this season. It kept him sidelined for week two. I think it was hitting his stride a little bit. The last couple of weeks, five QB pressures in the last two weeks, Four run stops during that span. Uh, he was put on the PFF all-rookie team through the first quarter. They, they did point to kind of defensive end as being a spot that 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 really hasn't produced a lot of numbers in the rookie class. And even though Yitor kind of you know missed time early and, and hasn't been on the field a lot, the last couple of weeks uh, got him a spot there. Got a sack and forced fumble against Kyler Murray uh, in the Arizona Cardinals last week. So, you know, nice to see him making that impact for Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers, who I think have been, uh, you know, significantly better, really, than a lot of people anticipated going into the season. Matt Rule and Joe Brady's Carolina Panthers. Yeah, okay. it's been cool to watch. And, and I think we mentioned that before the season. I mean, he's playing, what, beside Derek Brown from Auburn. So they've got some young talent there. And hopefully he continues to to be on this path because that's uh, obviously any any good pub for, for, for them is good pub for Penn State and their defensive line as they continue to uh, to try and build it. And something we saw here at Penn State, he's been working against offensive guards a little bit, you know, sliding inside. And then that's something that, that, that we thought was appealing about Etor is, is kind of the ability to, to piece, yeah, put him in different spots on your defensive front um, and, and, and maneuvering around. And, and that's something he's been able to do so far early on in his NFL career um, as week five got underway on Thursday. Sean, one mailbag question for us, because that's all we have time for since we spent uh, an hour and a half on the tight end room. And, and I enjoyed every bit of that conversation. But this one is going to focus in on the first home game, and everyone knows all about it by now, the Halloween matchup against Ohio State. Here is that question. What are the advantages and disadvantages of playing Ohio State in Week 2? They only get to see Kirk Shiraka's offense one time. However, Penn State only has one game to prepare for their hardest matchup. 
I, I think there's advantages and there's many disadvantages here. <laughs> yeah. I think more more so than Penn State's offenses, you've got Ohio State that you know is pretty well in sync from last year. I know they've lost some assistance over time. But still, at the same time, it's it's Justin Fields, an experienced, really, really good quarterback uh, doing the same thing that he's used to. So they'll have to fill the, some of those pieces. I think, uh, you know, you're not sure. I guess if you're looking for sort of uh, cracks in the armor, uh, you've got a running game that you're not sure what's going to come out. They've got they had to bring in a transfer to get going, Trey Sermon, and and you you know you're not sure how things are going to click that early in the season, and, and that's always the case. I mean, when you catch a team early, you've got the opportunity to do so, but at the same time, they're also catching you early when you're installing a new offense. So the teams that you know, I think we've seen it so far. The teams that have had the continuity at offensive coordinator and at quarterback have been okay. Penn State's got one of those, doesn't have the other, so. Um, you're, you're missing that non-conference schedule, which is going to hurt. Uh, so yeah, I think that, that, that would be the way that you would look at this is I think it's, it's tough to find advantages over one of the top teams in the country, but you know, you catch them early, you catch them off guard. That's fine. I don't know that there's too much that Kirk Shiraka can do. I mean, they, they have, they're looking at his Minnesota tape. They know the personnel is going to be slightly different. They know that he's going to use the tight end. They know that he's going to maybe use his uh, running backs in a little bit of a different manner. But you also know Penn State's personnel very well, and I think you can match up to that. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of guesswork um, when you talk about, uh, uh, excuse me, Ohio State's game plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got opportunities to catch him, no doubt about it. But I mean, I think it works both ways. I think because you lose Micah Parsons, you'd love a little bit more time to, to figure out what works and what might not at the linebacker spot. Where's Brandon Smith? Um, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be a bad thing to get a few more starts under his belt b- before he goes into this game as as one of your most important defensive figures uh, as a sophomore against this this offense that sh- should be you know I, J.K. Dobbins is gone. We'll see what that running game looks like as you alluded to, but. From a passing game standpoint, they just reload and, and, and they get deeper there. Um, and Justin Fields should take another step forward, which is a scary thought for everybody on Ohio State's schedule. I will say, though, Ohio State's defense, compared to where it was last year, I, I think we'll see some some semblance of a fall there. I, I'm not saying they're going to be a, a defense that, that that's just getting run over and or getting passed on by everybody, but... You know, Sean Wade, who who was one of those opt-out, opt-in guys, he's their only returning starter in that defensive secondary. Uh, clearly, Ch- Chase Young, anybody losing Chase Young, that, that's something that's notable. Um, but I think the Ohio State defense, you know, they ha- they may need a little bit of time here. You know, facing Penn State early on in the year, we'll see how much they're clicking. We'll see where Sean Clifford's at. That's all going to be important to look at. Um, Clifford was banged up going into that game last year, highly ineffective during his one half of action. So, um, I don't know what kind of book they have on Clifford uh, in terms of facing him, but they've got a whole year of of of, of work to to study what he did under Ricky Ronnie. You know, he's going to be the X factor every game this uh, you know for the season and where Penn State can go. And clearly, in this game, that that's that's even more the case because I think Penn State or Penn State has a chance there if they're ready to exploit teams with that passing attack um, and and certainly lean on the ground game uh, early and often. I think. Ohio State defense to me just on paper uh, could be proven wrong and they have they continue to recruit uh, out recruit everybody in the Big Ten so there could just be a bunch of next men up who step up and and solidify things defensively but I think catching them early in the season while they're going through some of those transitions looking for their next defensive stars that's an area on the field where I see you may have an advantage if if they're ready to rock and roll under Kirk Sharaka in week two. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. And I think that's it's 
I, I don't know that the matchups are, you know, I don't think you catch him in a different matchup or you catch him in a, in a certain spot, but you know, you can catch him not ready. And that's really what you're looking for. So I don't know what is going, I, I don't know what that game's going to look like. You know, you, typically I would say you give Penn state a couple of points for the whiteout, for the atmosphere like that. So I don't know that you, mm. you know, you got to make, Meyer gotta re- would tell you 10 points for the 10 whiteout. points. Uh, I didn't read that story. Um, but, uh, <laughs> No, you got to bring your own juice and see what uh, see what's cooking up for you then. So I, I don't know what that's going to look like. So I have a hard time saying that, you know, Ohio State, as talented as they are, you know, one of the top three talented teams in the country is going to be in that situation. Yeah, Ryan Day. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you when we when you don't see the drop off that people thought there might be there when you lose Urban Meyer, three time national champion, and since then you've got Ryan Day, who's sixteen and one as a starter or as a uh, as a head coach, I should say, and and you know really pushed the envelope in, in one of the rare competitive semifinal matchups we've seen in the college football against Clemson. This team was on the doorstep of the national title game against LSU last year, and that was year one with Ryan Day. So they had the benefit of the doubt. There's no doubt about it, but. uh yeah, I, th- I think uh, there's, as we said, there's certainly plenty of disadvantages here, um, and and so much is going to hinge, just like this entire season, on on what Kirk Sharaka, Sean Clifford, and the passing game are able to accomplish here in the preseason work, um, and and very curious to see as well the offensive line. We talked about this when we broke down that room. They've been an issue uh, the last the last few matchups against Ohio State, whether it was trying to run out the clock late in games with leads or whether it was trying to just establish yourself early in games. Ohio State has taken it to them in the trenches, Sean. That's been a glaring mismatch in in this showdown the last few years. If you can take a step forward there, I think that's a great start. And, and you can take a step forward because they're replacing a bunch of that defensive line now. Let's be honest, they're good every year. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the site. Larry thing. Johnson, we know Larry Johnson can can put together a good defensive line. So, you know, maybe you've got an advantage there. Maybe you sort of chip away at that and maybe you get your running game going and, you know, really – gives yourself a chance to control the tempo of the game. And if you can do that, and we've seen, you know, this isn't a situation where we've seen, you know, Ohio State pummel Penn State, you know, in years past. I mean, Penn State has been in, we don't have to rehash it here, but Penn State's been in that's some pretty good situations. <laughs> yeah, that's you. That's all you. Um, so I, I don't know that, you know, I think that they have that opportunity to get out there. It's just about finishing. It's just, I have a tough time seeing you know, them clicking on all cylinders like you have to be when you beat Ohio State two games into a new offensive coordinator and, and quarterback marriage. And uh, by the way, that trip to Indiana, going to keep hammering it home. That's a tricky game. And, and Sean, I, I think you said it was their third toughest game. Uh, or, or you didn't say it. You said we're behind Michigan and Ohio State, right? Yeah. So I, and, I, and I completely agree with you. And do not look past Indiana. Um, I'm, I'm sure uh, Penn State is not. And, and we actually have a really good mailbag question that I just saw regarding these first two games and, and kind of the tricky nature of, of dissecting what that means for Penn State. We'll hold that one for, for next episode and, and keep the podcast questions coming. An excellent one here. Start asking about the season. Start asking about this personnel because we're getting ready two weeks away from Penn State football kickoff. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. Great for podcast discussion. We'll get to another position on the next episode next week. Two more of those episodes coming your way. And then Sean, believe it or not, the next week we go back to our three episode format, two during the week, one after the game. Still want to see what our game day setup is going to look like for Sean, me, and Mark Brennan uh, here at Lions 24-7. But regardless, we'll come back to you after these games uh, and give you a breakdown. Uh, For now, stepping aside, on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue wishing you all a great weekend. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. 
from executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.